And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me tonight, it's my buddy Nate Tice. Nate, how are you? Doing great. Hope you had a great Christmas. Hopefully you got everything you wanted besides an easy fantasy championship win. I definitely did not get that. I have been going since Friday, and I will be going into tomorrow night. It has been an excruciating weekend of fantasy football. I'm I'm sure everyone wants to hear about. I did have a very nice Christmas. That was very nice to see my family. I hope you enjoyed it as well. I did. I did. Got a couple of nice gifts. You know, it is funny. It is a meme at this point where you say you get the new socks and you're happy about it, but it is true. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I knew, knew a couple button downs, knew a couple pairs of socks and like a couple board games for me. And I, I was set. That's like, that's all. I'm 31 years old. I am set. <laughs> you So you were tweeting about this this weekend. It is a side of you that I'm excited for people to learn about as we do the show more often. You are like an epic board game weirdo. You play yeah. very strange esoteric yeah. board games that no one has ever heard about and it is a part of your life that i do not understand but i fully appreciate i'm just i'm early on the trend i i you know like the, it's <laughs> i think more people are going to appreciate like kind of these modern board games but it's a way for me to like as i become more of a homebody and also just be competitive like put my brain to work like because my brain's 100 firing 100 different directions and it's a way to be competitive and turns out my wife is a lot more competitive than i realized <laughs> so we started playing these board games and i was like oh okay yeah I, i'm with the right one because yeah she- you've opened up the pandora's box here you're going down a road that might be a little bit dangerous for you at some point <laughs> i keep poking the bear though so week 16 uh, not only is the fantasy championship weekend, it is a massive weekend for playoff implications. We're going to be getting into a lot of that. We had some shocking results that are going to set some dominoes into motion for who's going to make the playoffs and who's not. We're going to talk about the Steelers beating the Colts in a massive comeback that was probably the game of the week. We're going to get to the Cardinals laying an egg, a ridiculous finish between the Dolphins and the Raiders, <laughs> a, a five-minute stretch that I still don't fully understand Seahawks defense really bringing it ton of other stuff before we do any of that though let's talk about the Sunday night game we just watched we don't have to linger on this but I thought it was a really impressive performance by the Packers solely because this is the type of game that coming into it we pump it up as a game between two really good offenses two potential contenders and then when one team smokes the other it's like oh well the the good team won is it really that surprising But this is a lopsided game. This was a definitive statement-making win for the Packers. And I think it did a couple things. One, it wrapped up the number one seed in the NFC for them, most likely. If they beat the Bears next week, the Seahawks can still get it. But the Bears need to, if they beat the Bears next week, they get it. So we'll get into all of that. Packers are now 12-3. and I think this was the MVP for Aaron Rodgers. I honestly do. I think the game he had tonight in prime time, with Mahomes having a down week, I feel like this is the week where the narrative could shift and Rodgers could really get a stranglehold 
on that award and on the dialogue around that award. You could feel the narrative swirling a little bit, especially they blitzkrieged right out of the gate. They just came after the Titans. I'm still under the belief that it is all roads go through Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes, but it is if you were to cast a vote and you said, yeah, I'm voting for Aaron Rodgers for MVP, I wouldn't bat an eye. I wouldn't be like, are you kidding me? Like, what, what, what are you looking at? You can't just go with the narrative. I think it's an either or at this situation. I think both of those players have been <laughs> out of their minds. And I really just looking at the stats because now – as we're entering these last couple of weeks, you know, the stats are definitive and we can actually look and compare and kind of start, you know, tangible numbers. It's so funny what the football is, you know, baseball, it's so many plate appearances, so many at bats until you see stable numbers like football is right as we get to the stable numbers, the season ends. <laughs> so now it's like, oh, OK, so, you know, right as we get to these narratives, it's week 14. It's like, oh, OK, well, that was that was all for not. But I, I wouldn't bat an eye. But watching what the Packers do on offense is just so much fun because they're just so varied, like. Yeah. The touchdowns night. It was a package play smoke throw because apparently just a corner being five yards off is an advantage for Devontae Adams and, and Aaron Rodgers, just like the 300 touchdown that happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, the next ball was a rise off a of play action off a duo to St. Brown to an over. And the next one was a fade on another package play. That was a run play. Then the next one was a duo to Dylan. Then another touchdown to Dylan off a zone run that made it look like duo. And it's just like, holy crap. And those are just the touchdowns. Because then it's, you know, Rogers ad-libbing. He's had the Seneca Wallace play where he's running around for 75 yards and he gains like four yards. He has the go balls to Adams late in the game. It's like, holy crap. They are just coming at you. I, I'm I'm glad last week when we did the Would You Rather, I went with the Packers because that performance they had tonight was like, that's what I was picturing when I said how hard it is to game plan for this team. I totally agree. And I think that the package plays is exactly what I was referring to when Rodgers just is able to bake in answers with the decisions he makes yeah. with box counts and what you're giving him and everything else. So if you look at the numbers, he was 21 of 25 for 231 yards and four touchdowns tonight. On the season now, he's thrown for 4,000 yards, 44 touchdowns, five interceptions. He's now over 70% completions and he's averaging 8.1 <laughs> yards per attempt. So like those numbers, they just like they sound like this is a throwback name. If you remember Omar Jacobs from Bowling Green, so he was Urban Meyer's like first quarterback. Uh, I definitely don't. Egypt. Okay, so Omar Jacobs, he had like a stat line his like senior year, or junior senior year that was like forty five touchdowns, three picks, and ran for like twelve touchdowns, and it was just like, yeah, that's at Bowling this, Green. This is the Bowling NFL. Green. This is the NFL. That's what I mean. It's like holy crap, he's putting up two thousand six Bowling Green in the MAC number, and that's <laughs> why I think that. It's you don't have to squint to see him as the MVP. Yeah, it's not it's not one of those things where ah he's a little bit behind Mahomes, but it's because we're going to get onto the narrative part of this after tonight. I assume he will be leading the NFL among quarterbacks in EPA per play. He has all of those numbers. He's probably going to throw for around 42, 50, 4,300 yards, close to 50 touchdowns while completing 70 percent of his passes. It's you don't need to fudge it. He is yeah. doing it. It fully and he's Aaron Rodgers, and it's easy to get behind the narrative of this. So I think that's why it happened, because it's not as if you have to take a leap to get to him being the MVP. It's a stepping stone away, and all of the narrative aspects get behind it. We knew this, though. We knew Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, it's a change from what we've seen in the last couple of years. I think the biggest change in narrative with players on that team is the way we should talk about Devontae Adams, because... Yeah. Right now, he is the best receiver in the league. I thought that that was going to be the case possibly this year. You could see the stars aligning a little bit. After week one, when we weren't sure what was going to happen with DeAndre in Arizona, Julio was hurt, 
Odell Beckham, uh, guys that had dominated that position over the last five years were no longer surefire superstars this season. And this is the first time in my in my mind where I was looking at the landscape of the league that I thought Devonta could be first team all pro. This could be the year where he really kind of takes over. Right now, he has 109 catches, 1,328 yards, and 17 touchdowns. He missed a couple games. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And when you're watching him, he feels that dominant. Yeah. it's it, You know what? They talk about NBA players every year, especially the stars. They add to their toolbox every absolutely. summer. Absolutely. That's what it feels like with Adams every year. It's like every year when he, because, you know, he barely got playing time really in his career and he worked his slowly worked his way up to more reps. He was their number three, then their number two, and then slowly transitions to the number one role. And he's always been a touchdown machine. So it's cool seeing them put stuff together in between the 20s and translating that stuff that was working in the end zone or near the end zone now more out to the field. I can't believe how good he is with the ball in his hands. That is something I didn't credit with him enough until this really this season. I thought he was more just really good body control kind of guy with great hand-eye coordination. That could, you know, best releaser in yards. the NFL. Best, best guy yeah, oh, yeah. in the half second after the play in the league. Yep. Use his hands, generate stuff, get a nice like four or five yards. I just didn't realize like... He's like untackable. He'll catch these smoke ball, smoke throws like that should just be four or five yards gains. Like usually with these package plays, when an offense teaches them, offense corner says, if you throw this bubble, if you throw the smoke, if we get four yards, we're good. Like you got an efficient run play. Hey, we're good to go. They're making these explosives and touchdowns <laughs> on these supposed to be simple, efficient four yard plays. So it's, it's crazy what they are doing. It that, that offense is tremendous. The fun mashing of parts. Like they'll run zone one play, split zone, they'll run duo, they'll run nakeds, they'll run play action, they'll run drop back with Aaron Rodgers. They'll have Aaron Rodgers doing his signal stuff. And it's a lot better Aaron Rodgers doing the signal stuff to add on like the cherry on top when the offensive play calls aren't just slant flats like they were for years and years and years. <laughs> So Adams catches 11 of 12 targets for 142 yards and three touchdowns today. And he just and we don't even blink an eye. It's like oh. this is just normal for him at this point, which is crazy. What is not normal, though, A.J. Dillon had 21 carries in this game for 124 yards. And this is just something to drop into their offense here at the end of the yeah. year. Clearly, it's just one more guy that has some juice to it. And the thing that I was excited about, or I would be excited about if I were a Packer fan, is the way that the defense is played over the last month and especially tonight. I always had more faith in their defense to put it together by the end of the year than some of these other lagging defenses of contenders simply because of the talent that they had up front for the most part. And you saw that tonight. Rashawn mm -hmm. Gary has given them something. You still have Zadarius Smith, Kenny Clark making a couple plays. I mean, this is a really, really dangerous team, but I don't think that that's news to anybody at this point. Yeah, the defensive blemishes are kind of what we already knew. They're, you know, because they get so blitz happy and creative with those packages, they can be give up some gashes in the run game. We saw one with the zone read to Tannehill on the third and one to let to a touchdown. But the thing is, they're, they're generating. They're giving up gashes on zone reads for the next 25 years of my life. And, I, but I guess was what? at the when, Kaepernick game. It's still happening. <laughs> different coordinator, different guys. It doesn't seem to matter. It, just, it doesn't matter. It's just green and yellow. That's that's what they're going to give up zone reads. That is fine. As long as they generate what they did tonight. They generated 35.7% pressures on dropbacks tonight. Yeah. And three of their four highest ones, this is all from next-gen next stats, is three of their four highest have come since week 13. So they are 
really getting after the quarterback in these last few weeks. And it's a really good time to do that. So if they can generate these quick leads, I, yeah, that's always the point. You want to race out Andy Reid scripts. They script the first 15 plays just for this reason, but the Packers can actually do it. Okay. So then you're gonna have to pass the ball against them. So they don't have to worry about you running the ball on them and they can just generate pressures. They can generate turnovers and just get that full court press going. And they have AJ Dillon now who so now they have a hammer along with Aaron Jones, where they can do what the Cleveland Browns do. And they just rotate these two stud running backs and get, you know, they just stay fresh throughout the game. And with the weather turning cold, they just have a multitude of options. It's yeah. Packers look really, really good today. And especially for a team like the Titans that needs a, a, not a positive game script necessarily, but for the game script to go in their favor, because they are so much better when they can play the style of offense they want to play. I think tonight you saw what happens when they get behind. They're just a different team. And the Things Packers have to be right now, exactly. Yeah. And the Packers yeah. right now are built to play from in front. Just win, baby. Yeah. All right, let's get to who won the week, and I think we have to start with the Pittsburgh Steelers. When it was twenty-four to seven, it looked over. Understandably, I think that the general discourse about the Steelers in that moment was they're done. This is yeah. over. They're going to get run out of the building today by a Colts team that's hitting its stride at the right moment. Yep. Their offense looked broken the same way it has all year. And yep. then all of a sudden, things shift. And <laughs> it, was it's, it was like a switch turn on the middle of the third quarter. It was just like, it, yeah, we, we can do offense again. I, I was <laughs> shocked at some of the things they were able to do. They ended up coming back to win that game 28-24. to 24. And I think the number one thing they tapped into for me that was important, they kept going to these vertical routes down the right sideline. And it was against a lot of cover three, I would assume, that I think some like cover six or quarters based on what I was yep. looking at. But yep. they really were having those guys just inside release and take the corner vertical. And Roethlisberger was either hitting those throws. He hit one to Claypool. He hit the touchdown to Johnson. And they got a pass interference on one of those. And then they started getting comebacks to that side because guys were having to play off. So just having that little vertical aspect of their offense, the threat of it and those plays actually hitting changed the entire dynamic of what they could do offensively. You could tell before the Johnson, the, the go ball to Johnson, which was a great catch. And Roethlisberger threw it so in rhythm. Like he knew mm -hmm. right away that's that's where he was going with the ball. And that was the play that you said. It was cover six. And so that was the quarter side. So it basically turns it plays out like man. And with the safety staying on the inside, Roethlisberger just did three out of the gun, hitched and threw it right away. It was like a pat and go ball, like somebody warming up. That's I mean, that's literally what it looked like. So you know that he predetermined either before that series or at halftime, the coaches were like, hey, we gotta get some shots going. Cause in back to back drives, he hit a glance ball that was like, oh shoot, you're hitting 18 yards, like timing routes now. Like where did that come from? And then he's throwing <laughs> go balls. So it's like something got into his hair or in his head where he's like, oh man, I got to shake some rust off and get, and get these mortar balls starting to, you know, start aligning a little higher with some of these throws because we can't, they run, they, the slant screens that they love and the pick routes that they run 30 times a game, they actually worked a little bit in the second half. The Colts were bringing pressures a little bit and actually getting out of their game a little bit. They looked frazzled in the fourth quarter. So yeah, I mean, you know, Seth Myers will be happy with how the performance was <laughs> for, for this game because it is this is what they need to do. They have to play like this. Their run game's not good enough. And just what they do with all this pick stuff and screen stuff, they have to be unbelievably efficient and they have to generate an explosive like once a quarter, twice a quarter, because they it's otherwise they're just gonna be a snagged team like we've seen the last couple of weeks. It was just nice to see them do this. 
to see that these yeah. plays were available to them. The Juju touchdown, I think it was kind of like a Yankee play where it was like a deep in and then the over behind it. And they high load the safety on that side. Mm-hmm. Roethlisberger pumps it hard, steps down, and then he hits it right over to Juju. And even the fact that they're running those that's not a vertical down the field play, but it's a that's a yeah. long developing route. Intermediate deep yeah, play. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. The, even that is just like, oh man, that's really nice to see. And then on the other side of the ball, the pass rush took over. I mean, that yeah. was as simple as it gets. Obviously, the Colts were without their two starting tackles in this game. That showed up in a huge way. High Smith took advantage of the left tackle, the backup left tackle, a couple different times. On the pick, he got there. As as Rivers was getting rid of the ball, and that was the deep interception, and then the mm-hmm. last incompletion of Pascal, he had a nasty spin to get in there. Watt did a ton of work on, against the backup right tackle Always. during this game, and guys were cleaning it up, and that's what they have to do. They have to dominate up front and hope that they can get enough explosive plays in the passing game to carry them, and that's exactly what happened today. Is this enough, what they did today against the Colts, to shift your thinking about how you consider the Steelers and what they could possibly do in the playoffs? No. <laughs> it's kind of like... It's, <laughs> it's something I, I've already been like, whoa, I've thought about them before. It's the... They have to be perfect. And yeah, if they look like this in the second half, how they play today, yeah, okay, they can make a run because that defense is so good. But they have to do that. And you can see how easily, how thin of a line they're running right now because we've seen the last couple of weeks when that that stuff was not looking pretty. I, I, I want to talk about their defense real quick. Well, first, I want to I want to just gush over the throw because it's probably my favorite play of the day was Phil Rivers' post ball to Pascal. It's kind of upsetting that that play doesn't matter anymore. That, that it, it didn't end up mattering is really sad because it was beautiful. You said the narrative changed. My first note in this game was Colts just dominated everything early. Steelers' early score was only because of the strip sack. Oh my God, that post, I'm beside myself. Those are my first two <laughs> notes. And <laughs> But like that play, I, I, I just want to show like, that's the Steelers in a nutshell. They're creating the five one-on-ones. They're generating pressure and they're saying, hey, you have to make a play to beat us. We are better than you. You have to beat us. And Rivers, which was awesome, moving in the pocket. They had nice protection. Nelson came and helped. Jonathan Taylor got there late. It was a cross dog that the Steelers brought. And Rivers steps aside, steps up with a guy, Green Dog, and coming right at him, throws a post to Pascal. So that is the gash or B gash that the Steelers are living in. And they can have those, they could generate those runs that they created a little bit today. Cause what the flip side of that is Rivers hit a couple of sale routes to Doyle, like twice in the game that were just beautiful. Perfect. They looked like clinic tape. And then on the two minute drive to like take the lead or at the end of the game, Rivers throws another sale route and the Steelers adjusted. He threw this one to Burton. And the corner, after just being hit twice in this game on these deep sail balls that went to about 15, 20-yard gains, he fell off the go ball. And you can actually see Rivers panic a little bit because he's like, oh, shit. And then like he because he's throwing the ball, even with a funky motion, he's midway through it. And you can see him. Th- he throws behind Burton. And Burton can't adjust because the corner yeah, fell off. Yeah, on the off. left side. Yeah. On the left side. Correct. And yep. that's the Steelers, though. They're aggressive and they're smart because they are willing that they adjusted because that that's a little bit of a bet that that corner was doing, but he bet right. And that's what these players do. That's what they are going to do. They're going to always bet. And sometimes they win and sometimes they play with the house's money for the rest of the game. For the Colts, this is a potentially devastating loss because it looked like they had this game. If they win this game, they're in the playoffs. Now they need the Steelers to beat the Browns or the Bills to beat the Dolphins next week. And they need to beat the Jags. They're playing the Jaguars. So there's a very good chance they will beat the Jaguars. But now this Colts team that I think both you and I believe 
is really, really good. And a team that can beat anybody in any given week needs help to make the postseason. And that's kind of a bummer. Like, it it just doesn't feel right that this Colts team and how well they've played all year and how good Rivers looked in moments this week, even in a game they lost and when he threw a bad pick, he was running for his life for the entire second half. This is a really good team. And they absolutely could miss the playoffs if the Dolphins and the Browns both win next week. How about we go to seven playoff teams and everybody's worried, oh, an eight and eight team's going to get in. A seven and nine team gets in. And then the AFC has eight teams this year with 10 wins or more. With 11 and five team isn't going to get in. Like, it really is. It, it really would be uh, unfortunate. I, I mean, that, yeah. I, that it's just a team I would love to see in the postseason. And the reason that they might not be in is because of another team that's a candidate for who won the week here, and that is the Miami Dolphins. So they're now at 88% to make the playoffs according to our buddy Steve Kornacki here. And another great week, Steve. Another great week. <laughs> I love I love the segment. <laughs> and they they are in this position because they won an impossible game 26 to 25 against the Raiders on Saturday. I still don't know how this happened. So Aguilar scores the touchdown, game seems over. And then they come back with a ridiculous play to Miles Gaskin. Mhm. Then the game is not over again. Then the Raiders kick a field goal. It's like, all right, you know, the Dolphins had a fun year. You know, it's a strange game. They had to put Fitzpatrick in, whatever. And somehow there's a 70-yard play that involves a face mask and a huge completion. They're in field goal range. Kick it. That's game that. over. They win. And that's that. <laughs> I. It was the one of the weirder finishes I can remember. And... I mean, for the Raiders, it doesn't really matter. Their season was over. For the Dolphins, it is a season-altering win, potentially. Because I think for them, making the playoffs is a huge deal. For some teams, it's like, all right, you know, in our trajectory, like for Washington this year or something, it'd be nice to make it. But if you don't make it, it's not the end of things. For Mm -hmm. the Dolphins, I think that season they've had, the story that they've been, it would be great to make the playoffs. It didn't look like it was going to happen until that very last moment. And now... It absolutely can. The Steelers winning is rough for the Miami because now the Bills probably have to play next week and try to win next week in order to keep the number two seed in the AFC and the Dolphins could potentially lose to Buffalo and then all of these things happen. But that win gives them a chance to control what happens to them going forward. We gush about how well coached it seems the Dolphins are. And they like early on, they run the fake punt. And then they go for a fourth down early at near midfield. And they both they only get field goals out of both those possessions, but they are creating through aggression their own chances. You hear it in poker, I guess, poker players. I used to be big in poker until I realized I didn't really like poker other poker players. <laughs> and they one of the things that they say, but is that good players kind of generate their own luck. They kind of just by being aggressive and picking your spots and everything that the cards will fall for you because you put yourself in those advantageous positions. I'm sure I'll get like five responses to this that go, I'm like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, the VIG and all that. The poker but, sound, uh, the poker crowd seems like a chill group. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're so much fun. Uh, it's not but- <laughs> You've been in Vegas for too long. Anyway. <laughs> I know, right? But then what's so with this is that they're generating these chances for themselves. So their offense is they have some nice pieces like Dolphins are in a great position. They have the number three pick right now. Uh, with being in a playoff oh, team. Oh, we're going to get into that here in a second. Oh, I'm sure we will. <laughs> but they're in such a good spot. They have these nice role players. You know, they 
they need a couple of dudes and 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 okay i'm going to continue with uh uh some some little uh my horror movie references do you ever see evil dead or evil dead of 2 course. or any Come of those? On now. okay okay so you know evil dead and evil dead 2 it's there it's a sequel but it's also like a remake at the same time like they kind of did the same script for both of them yeah. that's kind of what the dolphins are like with Fitzpatrick and Tua in there is that it's it's a little higher budget and a little more explosive with Evil Dead 2. That's the Fitzpatrick experience. And then Tua's like Evil Dead 1. It's like, oh, there's some nice pieces. It's a little cult classic, but he still might be it's a little dirty in some <laughs> some aspects. But I mean every playoff contender is gonna get a horror movie reference at some point. But that that's the one for the Dolphins right okay, now. Okay, here's the problem. It's the same though. but different. Yeah. Do you feel good about the fact that your fifth overall pick is the low budget version of your offense. When you have a 38 year old journeyman quarterback who is supposed to be keeping the seat warm for him coming off the bench and looking drastically more explosive. It's you look at the numbers in this game Tua went 17 of 22 for 94 yards. That should be impossible in an NFL game. And when you watch it, it makes perfect sense. Everything was horizontal. He took some bad sacks in this game. I have so many questions about the way the Dolphins are handling this and what it means, because clearly the offense is more explosive with Fitzpatrick. The throw he had to Gesicki up the seam is a throw that is not available to this team with Tua at quarterback right now. And Fitzpatrick, you could see him talking to Tua on the sideline, and it was, I thought, a really telling moment. He was essentially saying to him, they caught the camera. Being like, you you don't have to get to your third read on all these things. You have to push these balls into these tight windows every once in a while. And those are risks that Tua just isn't willing to take right now. And the Dolphins understand that Fitzpatrick gives them a better chance to win right now. And it just is so interesting to watch a team handle their quarterback situation like they'd handle every other position. Because for the most part, a team or a franchise wouldn't be willing to do this with a guy they drafted fifth overall. You wouldn't be willing to yank him twice in close games because you know he's your lesser quarterback. I don't know if it's a good idea, and I don't know what it means for this team in the future. And I, I don't know if it's a good idea, and I don't know what it means. How do you? How, what are you reading from this? It's such an interesting case study, uh, and it's with the Dolphins. It's how much faith do they have on their own self scouting? Is Tua just, you know, Hawaiian left handed Alex Smith, or is he something more? You know, is that we they have to assess so quickly? The, the league moves so fast now. There's it just year after year. We saw the Cardinals go from Rosen to Kyler like it's no problem, just threw him away like tissue paper. So, are we with Tua? Is is he reading things so quickly? Is that a feature or a bug, basically? Is yeah. that a good thing that he's doing that, or is that a bad thing that he's doing that? And that's where that's a whole organization thing, because then that's the personnel and coaches don't always see eye to eye. They sometimes are in lockstep and they see everything great, or or in, at least in unison. But it's all right. Well, you have to be in the building to know. What was so drastic about it was all of a sudden Fitzpatrick gets in there and the offense just opened up. Was, everything just seemed more vertical. Yeah. Like just the even the concepts they are calling for him. And it's one of those I have to watch every single play to kind of see it. You know, game script could dictate some things. But is that because they don't trust Tua to do it? Or is Tua, like you said, with the the example of Fitzpatrick and Tua and talking on the side, hey, you're not going to get to your third read. Is that a good or a bad thing? Because that's the exact same thing Tua was doing in Alabama with, you know, they had some incredible weapons doing it. But he would get to the right guy. And he was going there hell or high water. He thinks he's going to wish that guy open because he trusts his own process so uh, so much. But now you have to figure out, okay, is he able 
to get off of that? Or is that just what he is? Because now we've seen it at college and now we're seeing it at his rookie year is that he just locks onto that number one guy or a number two guy where he thinks that ball is going to come open and then doesn't come off. And he has outstanding pocket movement. But again, we have to, that's where that self scouting has to come in. Cause then the coaches have to go, yeah, I don't think he's ever going to get it. Or they go to the personnel guys go, he's, he's going to be fine guys. We're just, you know, we're easing them in. But 22 attempts for what, 90 something yards? <laughs> it's a little. Four air yards per attempt in this game, which is the against lowest the in the NFL. This Against the Raiders. Against which the Raiders. Which is the lowest in the NFL this week. The third lowest in the NFL was Chase Daniel at 4.38. <laughs> it looked like the Dolphins were calling this game for Chase Daniel. It yeah. looked like they were calling it for a backup quarterback they needed to protect. And for a guy you yeah. drafted in the top five, that is concerning. So that brings us to. A question that I think is worth thinking about. I don't mean to be purposely uh, controversial here, but the, the the Texans losing that game today means that the Dolphins currently have the number three overall pick in the draft. Yep. If you're Miami, and if you like one of those guys in the top five, is there any world in which you would draft one of those guys and let him compete with Tua to see who the quarterback should be? Because I think theoretically and historically, the reason teams don't do that is because they are concerned about the standing that person has within the building. And it is important to hand the keys of your franchise over to someone. The Dolphins are cutting to his legs out from under him by putting Fitzpatrick back into these games in the way that they're doing it. So clearly, they're not treating this in the same precious way that other franchises would. So I don't think they will. But I think if there was a team that would consider it, they would probably be the team. Their offseason is truly like a choose your adventure. Like they could do so much with if especially if that pick ends up at number three with the what this draft is shaking out to be. And like they can get frisky, you know, go for the QB, like you're saying, then go O line, even though O lines look kind of nice the last couple of weeks, especially in the run game. Um, you know, they're in the Patriots thinking and that system doesn't prioritize maybe bendy pass rushers, but that's another path they can go on or they can trade it for a King's ransom, you know, with the number three pick with quarterback uh, hungry teams trying to jump up. I just brought up the instance of Rosen going to Kyler and that was what was Rosen, the 10th pick. And yeah. then also, and then Kyler's number one pick. It's been done very, very recently. And if there is a no brainer guy that you're like, that's what we can move on to. They're willing to take chances. They're willing to do stuff that whole entire franchise. So I wouldn't put it past them. I wouldn't put it past more like 5%, you know, <laughs> but it's, it is interesting that they could go down that path with a top five pick and with a, the draft that it looks like it's going to be, those guys might be a better prospect than Tua was, even though Tua was a good, good prospect. I don't think he's shown anything that makes it a non-starter. I don't think Correct. he has been good enough. Like, for like Exactly. Where like Herbert, Herbert, it's like, oh, no, 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 we're good. <laughs> I just don't think, because Tua doesn't have the tools that blow you away where you'd say, this is worth waiting for. His ceiling is so high that it's not even worth having the conversation. I think that his ceiling is actually maxed out, fairly middling. I mean, yeah. he doesn't, the arm is, he does a lot of stuff that's interesting. And I think that the way he moves and all that other stuff... There's a lot to like, but I also think that if you're being honest with yourself, the ceiling is still fairly defined when you look at just his physical tool set. So that's just something to consider. By the way, two average 4.0 air yards per attempt this week. Brady was at 13.3 for the entire game, for the entire half, because he only played in the first half. The Lions do not 
give a shit. It is amazing to watch them right now. I I, I know that, that their entire staff. coaching staff was done. Oh my god, whatever. But those guys, there were teams that we'll get to that had a lot of pride this week, and there were teams that absolutely did not. The Lions game was hard to watch. Brady was they were trying to Brady was trying to hand his shoulder pads off like it was a preseason game. Like, you know, coming incredible. out of the half, you know, coming out with a hat and a t-shirt on, like, yeah, chewing seeds on the side. Oh, he probably doesn't chew seeds with his diet stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> too much salt. All right. Too much salt. Last candidate for who won the week here. Pete Carroll. <laughs> yeah. The Seahawks win the NFC West today with a 20 to 9 win over the Rams. And I'm telling you, man, the Seahawks defense is here. 10th in EPA per play over the second half of the season before this game. Jared Goff finishes 24 of 43 for 234 yards and an interception, sacked three times. And when you watch that defense today, they brought it. They played with a ton of energy, a lot of guys just knocking people around. We'll get to some of the specifics, but have you seen enough from the Seattle defense here over the last month or so where you feel like, all the pieces coming together with an offense that's a little bit unsteady, but still has a lot of talent, and this defense playing the way that it is. Do you feel better about Seattle than you would have probably a month ago? Yeah, definitely. It seems that they kind of figured themselves out, maybe a bye week or some self-scouting kind of really. They, I feel like they were trying to do too much. They got excited about Jamal Adams' blitzing ability. <laughs> they maybe had to, and they had to lean into it and figure out what they were, because they were using him like Tomba Holly for a little bit, like just basically like an edge rusher. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what it looks like. But their guys are getting healthy. Maybe they're not all world beaters, but now they look more presentable. And, you know, they're a lot like like a kid, like a middle schooler getting like Axe body spray, and they got a little too excited. That's how it was with Jamal Adams and Blitzing. Like they got excited about their first cologne and spray, and they sprayed too much of it. And then now they've figured out the proper amount. I'm gro- I'm great with these analogies right now, but this is just what I thought of today because that's what it was. I'm just going to let every- that one go. I'm just going to let you. that one go. But, but, but we all did it. But it was like, it was one of those where they, they bring like 15 blitzes in a row, and it's like they're getting gashed with Adams. You know, we saw it with the Bills game and everything. And, now they're like, okay, we're controlling it. They're playing within themselves and they're really playing their good old cover three stuff. It looks like they're going back to the one who brought them there. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, they, they forced the Rams into 19 third downs uh, today. That's a lot of third down attempts. The set. run defense was and fantastic. Fantastic. They were making them work on first and second down. And we, that can go into the whole thing with what the Rams are doing, because that's really what's limiting them is that they're into these third downs and that's not their game. And limiting explosives and just, you know, they're just doing a lot better stuff. Like they just seem more knowing what they're doing. I think before it was like they looked like an offense. I'm talking about their defense, though. It looked like an offense that saw all these cool plays and they threw it at the wall and hoping a couple of them worked. Now they're like, hey, we only like these five plays and let's really get good at them. And it's working. And I think their guys are playing faster and just more sound. And uh, we haven't even talked about their offense yet, but, you know, it's good to see their defense kind of honing up and really becoming more of a complete team couple guys that jumped out today. KJ Wright was incredible. Yeah. I mean, he was just walked down over the tight end the entire game, making that five-man front we've seen against the Rams for the last few years, trying to make it hard to get to the edge, and just beating the shit out of Tyler Higby this entire game. <laughs> and, and just all over the place. I mean, there it happened all game where you could just tell mm-hmm. he was come hell or high water, you were not getting around the edge against him. And then the one play that really jumps out is the one on fourth and goal late in the game where he just rocked Higby three yards deep into the backfield and then they cleaned it up game swinging play on that exact same set of plays Adams tracked Henderson down from behind 
and dropped him at yeah. the one yard line to even make that possible. Huge, and huge then Adams play. made the play on second down after that first down. So just the effort they're playing with. And now when you start piling up these guys, KJ Wright making those plays, obviously Bobby Wagner is a star. Adams playing the way that he is. Dunlap is giving them a lot. Puna Ford was playing in the backfield all day today. They just, especially in the front seven, they've got some dudes and it is really starting to come together for them. Yeah. And a lot of the sacks and the pressures they created today were coverage sacks and, yeah. and Goff having to hold on to the ball, hold on to the ball. And guess what? Carroll's teams in the past have had a lot of success with creating tip balls on contested throws or making the quarterback hold on to the ball and running games for the D line and kind of winning with numbers as opposed to one stud dude getting the sack. I just have to talk about the Rams because of my baby, but you know, it's, it was like magic today watching Ramsey work on Metcalf. Like, the first, I mean, there's a first down. Uh, Metcalf got the first down. It was like a third and 10, I think it was, where he got it by a yard or third and nine or something like that. And Ramsey runs him down on the crosser. And it's like, that's the only guy in the league that could that could do that. That one has the speed to run down Metcalf and two has the just size and strength and football ability to make the tackle from behind with Metcalf running away. There's other plays where Metcalf's running a double move and Ramsey's running with them step for step. And the Rams did a great job generating. You know, that's why I don't want to take too much away from what the Seahawks do on offense because the Rams defense is so freaking good. And, you know, they generate, they run all these games. They create the five one-on-ones like we talk about other teams do, but they do it as well. And they're getting guys late. Like Leonard Floyd, their, their pass rush lanes is really fun to watch because they might be only rushing four or five, but they're moving these guys around and creating angles and creating edginess in the pocket. And that's where you could see Russell getting a little – a little antsy in the pocket today and starting to do a little hat, like kind of start breaking out. And then like Floyd would come around and get a sack late. And that's good stuff that the Rams are doing. That's why I don't want to really take away from what the Seahawks are doing. Cause they can put up points. Hasn't happened the last few weeks, but they still do it. Russell, you saw him in the last, they're playing. It's really minutes. good defenses. I think the fourth that's quarter the thing you have to be encouraged about is that yes, they're playing yes. against Washington. They're playing against the Rams. Yes. I mean, these are really good defenses and I think the offense will look better. The fact that the defense has looked as good as it does. That's why I think when those things converge, possibly in the playoffs, they're a really dangerous out. And we're going to get to that in a second. I want to talk about the Rams offense though. So the Rams lose this game and now the Rams are potentially in trouble because mm-hmm. they're sitting here at nine and six. If they lose next week to Arizona, who needs to win to get into the playoffs, and the Bears also win, but now the Packers need to win because the Seahawks and all this other stuff. So that's just something to take into consideration. But the Rams now with a loss could be out of the playoffs. This is a team we thought could potentially win the Super Bowl and now they're potentially out of the playoffs. So Goff hurt his thumb in this game. He Mm -hmm. might not even play next week, but even before the injury, games like this are starting to pile up and I think it's time to start getting concerned about what the ceiling of this offense is with this version of Jared Goff. Do you think that's fair? I do. It's too much of these games and I... Because now I'm going to talk about both sides of my mouth. Because a little bit of this, too, with this offense is they're not generating the explosive plays that they had in the past when they were rolling in 2018. Nothing downfield. Nothing. Nothing. And even in the run game, Daryl Henderson had a couple of runs where they did some nice stuff, and he's like a magnet to the safety. And it's like, put a move on the guy. Like, generate something third level where that 12-yard gain is a 30-yard gain. Like, their longest play today, I think, was 26 yards. And 
when Goff it was the one time is, that KJ Wright gave up the edge. It was the one time yeah, he was up the right sideline. It was the one time that he got beat. Yeah, and Rams hit that uh, receiver-led wide back that I love a couple times, but they're in so much of this empty or the static three-by-one formations. When we picture the Rams and them rolling on offense, it's these varied looks that all shape up to be the same with the jet motion. There were the nakeds, the play actions, the screens, the run game. Everything ties in together, and just it's it's a headache for the defense. When you have to run 19 third downs, because that means you probably had some second and longs as well, the Rams have to get stuck in this empty world, this static three-by-one world, and Goff, Goff can only throw sticks so many times, or Cup can only get open with a design play, a des- uh, the weekly design play in these situations so many times. The number of times that Cup was straining to get to the marker today on third down, it felt so, so hard for them. That is so, that's exactly right because it's like if it's third and eight, they're getting eight yards. Yeah. It's not third and eight, and they're getting he 40. He tiptoed you know? up the sideline just past the marker, I think, at least three times today. And then he had a couple where he was just like getting tackled and like, oh, fell forward and barely got the yard. But that's that's it. That's that in a nutshell is like those plays before. How many times we would see them drive down the field? They're getting defense is just taking these blows and they're running this tempo stuff and they're changing up the cadence and they run like a play action screen and Gurley waltz up the sideline for an easy touchdown. There's no of those easy plays, it seems like. It seems like you could see the coaches have to work for these plays to get, generate just even a five yard gain. That's like a jet sweep to Woods or a stick route or something or something in the run game. It's just so, so hard. So going back to the original point with Goff is. It's he is what he is. It's he needs the stuff generated for him. He doesn't create anything with his legs. You'll see similar quarterbacks in this type of scheme generate more with his legs. He is going to be in the pocket and he is not using his legs to generate an explosive play. He'll just get the bare minimum. So it was the big difference between him and Tannehill today. Yes. It's exactly the difference is when you yeah. saw him today, there were so many plays where he's booting out and KJ Wright did a good job on those as well. He played a little bit both and made it a little bit difficult on those, some of those boots, but there were so many plays where he has eight yards into the flat. If he just wants to run, that is what a mobile quarterback in this offense gives you. And he just doesn't have that aspect to his game. And defenses know that that's the improvement that Seahawks have shown too is last year. And I did a cover of this a couple of times because I just thought it was so funny throughout the year. The Seahawks were like someone. I had a friend look up the stats for me, but it was like versus nakeds. Their defense was like basically Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. Whenever a team ran a naked, it was basically whenever whatever the quarterback is, whatever the team is, if that team ran a naked bootleg, the defense was basically giving up a Patrick Mahomes like quarterback rating. To That's that, so interesting because so they looked fantastic against them today. Exactly. So you see the just 12 months later or you know 10 12 months later and how good they're playing these nakeds. That's just the improvement that they've shown. What do you think that is? Unit. That's discipline. That is, you know, Clowney. <laughs> Clowney yeah. was a little bit yeah. of, a little bit of that that's issue. That's a really good point. <laughs> so that's a little bit of it. And then when Clowney does it and that's your best rusher or everything, everyone else kind of takes their cues from that. Like, oh, he's getting his. I'm gonna get mine of those. Like, screw run discipline or screw, you know, you know, the boot lane, uh, uh pass contain. So I think that's a little bit of it and just maybe just more of uh emphasis of coaching, uh, because that is a very coachable point that teams can do. Just one more thing when KJ Wright was walked down, he had a play at 12.09, I think, in the first quarter where he stood up Higby and turned it back inside for like a two-yard gain. And then on the second and eight, he was on the left side. Goff was booting back toward him. He managed to kind of play it slow. And then as soon as he saw that he could take two steps and get in the passing lane, he did, and he tipped it. It's just like that's those are two play stretches he was putting together today that's like, all right, this defense, when these guys are playing like this, 
I can get on board. And those PBUs, those add up, like because you're yes, just absolutely doubt in the quarterback. It's just like a quarterback hit. A PBU is just just the same. But those add up because all of a sudden it's like, oh, quarterback's like, oh shit, I got, I got to start throwing sidearm now. I got to start angling. I got to start pumping a little bit. You know, it can it can break up rhythm if a defense is cont- consistently doing that. And especially for a quarterback that already seems to be in his own head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right. So that game brings us to this week's Would You Rather. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? I didn't tell you we were doing this because I decided to do it last second, so I'm putting you on the spot. All right. Here we go. So after that Seahawks game and after the way that the Saints played, so the Saints and the Seahawks are likely going to be playing against each other based on the current setup in that 2-3 game to play the Packers in the NFC Championship game, right? Mm-hmm. If you were Green Bay right now, who would you rather see in the NFC Championship game, the Saints or the Seahawks? I think I'd rather see the Seahawks, but God, that is that's tough because... You, you don't want to face Russell Wilson. <laughs> and now there's a good want, answer, but they'll no, probably no. have to face one of them if they get no, there. I, have to I say they'd rather have to play the Seahawks because I think they can generate more on offense and and have a higher baseline uh, against the Seahawks because there's less worry. I think the Saints, is, that's more of a grind. And that's more of a, we could have some bad plays that can go against us rather than just, oh, eke out, make them make it work for it and get the field goal at the end. It's like, no, we have to worry about getting the ball taken away from us because that's what the Saints are going to try and do. They're going to try and create havoc plays. Uh, the Packers played really well against tough. them earlier in the season, yeah. but that game was a different world for the Saints different defense. World. And I think that we should not throw that out, but it matters less than it should we've when we're the, considering We've had this. the Taysom Hill experience. You know, that's a, <laughs> it's, it's a totally different generation. When I watched the Saints last week, I just wanted to see their offense do something. And I know the Vikings defense is a disaster right now. Yeah. But I just wanted to see Breeze look a little bit lively. I want to see them run the ball a little bit. And they obviously did that with the game oh, that Alvin Kamara had. They ran it once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. They did okay. <laughs> 
So <laughs> this is tough for me. I think I'd rather see the Seahawks as well because for the reason that you said, I think that the Saints defense at its best is such a dominant group and they could potentially give the Packers problems. You're just going to have Lattimore one-on-one against Devontae Adams for most of that game, I would assume. And when he mm-hmm. brings it, he can bring it. And again, they didn't play well the first time those two teams met, but I think this would be a different story. So I would lean toward the Seahawks, but it's really, really close. So the final four we could have in the NFC in the divisional round could theoretically be the Bucks and the Packers at Lambeau yeah. and the Seahawks going to the Superdome to play the Saints. No more fun than that. <laughs> That's pretty good, man. That Bucks, is pretty Bucks darn Lam- good. Bucks at Lambeau is pretty fun. That, you know, Brady and Rogers at Lambeau in a playoff game. I mean, that's like what it that. seems like right now. So I think the Bucks are locked into the five seed now because they're 10 and six and the Cardinals have seven losses. So yeah, the Bucks are locked into the five seed. You know, they looked really good against a terrible Detroit team, but I think that we've seen the Bucks play really well. We've talked about this. It's a high wire act with them. They yeah. play, they were fantastic against the Packers the first time these two teams played. I think it would be a good game. I think it'd be a fun game. I think those teams as the final four would be fantastic. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So one of the reasons that the Bucs could potentially play the Packers in the divisional round is because they would play the NFC East winner in the first round of the playoffs, and that gets us to Vince for the week. What the hell's going on out here? So I want to get this out of the way first. Someone needs to win the NFC East. (laughs) By the rules, it needs to happen. We assumed it was going to be Washington. They play awful today on offense against awful. the Panthers. Haskins goes 14 to 28 for 154 yards and two picks. He was so that bad. bad in this game. 
Who knows who's going to be playing quarterback for them next week? Tyler Henneke looked better than Dwayne Haskins did today. Old Dominion's finest. (laughs) It's not what you want if you're the Washington football team. The Cowboys beat the Eagles. Their offense seems to have some life. I don't know what to make of it. Of these teams, who do you think would give us the best wildcard weekend game? And does it really matter? Oh, it doesn't matter. I actually think the Cowboys would be the most fun, at least because I can watch their offense a little bit. Not so much the whole unit, but at least they have some fun players. I mean, that that really did show today. Their skill position talent is still there. And I mean, Gallup just looked like he was playing at a different speed than some of those guys today. And so did Amari Cooper. That being said, every time I looked up, Gallup was making a play. It was. Yeah. I don't know how many Michael Jaquettes they're going to be playing against in the postseason. And that's to be fair to Michael Jaquette. He has been thrust in a position that is a no-win situation for him. <laughs> but the level of defensive back on the Philadelphia Eagles right now is concerning. And they are not going to be playing against that caliber of guy when they play against Tampa Bay potentially in the wild card round. A little bit of different defense, like actually stopping the run and like, you know, guarding guys man to man as opposed to like any switch route gives the Eagles issues. It's actually got like CeeDee Lamb's touchdown on the switch verticals. It was like I felt bad for the corner because he was just, he got stuck. He was just like flat footed and CD just did like a little like swim move on him. I was like, Oh, okay. This is easy. Like wide open touchdown. I can't believe the Washington, like Washington football team might be that team because you know, like Hanky is starting at quarterback, like old dominion's finest Walter Payton winner, Walter Payton award winner, one double a, we had to play him when I was at Pitt. I was a GA at Pitt and they shredded us. They ran like five plays. Like we stole every single one of their signals and it did not matter <laughs> because they just, they were so good at like how, what they did. But anyways, and it's, I can't believe that team with Logan Thomas starting at tight end, JD McKissick at running back. The whole line is just a patchwork. It's the fact that they're even competitive. Like it's like actually kind of props to Washington that they're like, not, not I this totally week. agree. The, yeah. the fact that they're even in this conversation is his feet, but they still aren't a good team. And <laughs> yeah, it, I, was gonna still say, I don't want them in my playoff weekend. That's why I don't want them near my playoff weekend. That's I don't want any of these teams near it. So here's the situation. If Washington loses, the winner of the Cowboys Giants game gets in. So okay. the Washington essentially has a play in game and that game is now on Sunday night against the Eagles. It would have been way more fun if the Eagles just won today and the Eagles-Washington game had been the play-in game for the NFC yeah. East title. Now, I I don't care about this. We, <laughs> we have to talk about it, but I just don't care about it. I do not Check think any box. of these teams... I do not think I've, any of these teams, no matter who makes it, is going to beat Tampa Bay in the in the wildcard round. I really don't. It's not like it's some good team that's battling injuries or there's something. Exactly. It's just I mean, like... It's, I guess you can all make that argument about the Cowboys, but... Yeah. Not really. Oh yeah. 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 But not not in this iteration because with Dak not back there, it's it's not the same team. <laughs> no. No matter what you want to say, that star is missing two points on there. All right. That's our NFC East conversation for the week. That's the, that's <laughs> Check the amount that of time box. we're spending them. All right. Our next candidate here, the Arizona Cardinals, just with an embarrassing loss against the Niners, they lose twenty to twelve. And just come out totally flat. Kyler was 31 of 50 for 247. They couldn't get anything going. It's not a great look to be playing for your playoff lives and have a Niners team come out and just outwork you in every single aspect of that game. Run routes for you uh, on when you're on offense, like basically just know what you're going to do every single one of those plays. Like the Niners caught the Cardinals, their protection, like at least 
three times, I mean, there's probably more, but three significant times where Cardinals would full slide and the 49ers are just having a free runner. And like the Cardinals are keeping in like seven guys to protect. 49ers are rushing four or five and like three guys are blocking one guy. And then there's just one-on-ones created on the edge. And poor Kyler has no check down underneath, nothing working for him underneath. It's just all deep balls and then him having to scramble or it's all quick game. So defenses are just, it's the same issues we've talked about with the Cardinals <laughs> all this past year. It's it's their protection stuff is archaic. They are too fascinated with getting the ball out quick. Is that maybe because of the O-line? I don't think so. I think that's just their preference. The run game stuff is fun, but Kyler got banged up and we saw what happens when Kyler can't just lift that whole team. Like, But the, the fact that they're still with these protection issues where the running backs are locked in on protection and not getting out on a late check down or something underneath to tie the defenders down. That's really worrisome. I mean, that is just, that's just not good offense. And the fact that this is something that we talked about week one, week two, this is something that happened last year. I've talked in the off season on other, on other podcasts and just random tweets. It's just, that's not good. It's not good to see. Uh, but what was good to see was like first play of the game for the 49ers is Shan- Kyle Shanahan had put George Kittle on a full blown jet motion and then running counter with him just, just wiping just out the team. The end, yeah. <laughs> and first play out the play of the game. So you knew that they planned that the whole week. Like, all right, Georgie boy, like we're going to get you, we're going to get those juices full on play one. So that, that was fun to see, but Cardinals, man, it's and like these teams played like they had different records today. Like if you had your eyes closed, didn't see the records, you would guess that the 49ers are on the cusp of a playoff berth, not, not the Cardinals. If I were a Niners fan, I would be incredibly proud of the way my team played in that game. Just the overall effort from every single player. Yep. I Jason Verrett was awesome. Unbelievable. I, I mean, just making so many really nice plays against Hopkins in high leverage moments. The touchdown that he broke up, that's a touchdown 99 times out of 100 to DeAndre Hopkins. As he gets his ball, hands on the ball, it's yep. over. We and saw it last week when he when we we joked about it. We made the football look like a little toy ball, like a Nerf ball. He was just like, and for Red to break that up, like not even just make it hard and you push him out of bounds. He knocked the ball out of those massive hands. That is a hell that, of a play. Stuck with him in man coverage several times, played downhill yeah. on a couple balls. I mean, that guy playing at the level he's playing at is really fun to watch. It's it's you good for confidence. everybody. Yes. Yeah. And it, yeah. he's just so talented. And him staying healthy and playing this way is great. Warner had a couple really nice plays. That seam ball he broke up to Dan Arnold. That was another perfect throw from Kyler. They were making plays on defense. Yeah. And I just think it's the one so guy much. up in the in the end zone. Uh, um, uh, it, they had the back of the end zone like a little oh, Christian fender Kirk. ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, he blew, and the safety just rattled him, and it was like, oh, they shoot, were that hitting was early in that game. They said that they was set a the game tone. where the that stadium was so quiet, and I <laughs> yes. think that was part of it. You could hear every hit just echo through the stadium, but I also think the Niners were hitting in that game and the fact yes. that they had nothing to play for and guys like George Kittle are coming back and playing when they don't need to and Kyle Shanahan essentially saying if he can play what am I supposed to say to everybody else that we're shutting him down I think it's a really impressive statement about your overall culture and the job that Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala have done with that organization I completely agree when a few years ago when they were rough, you know, Shanahan's first year, that was always something that stood out was how hard the teams played. It was like, okay, they got yeah. good energy to them. They don't got a lot of talent, but they got some good energy to them. And that's something I've always appreciated with Kyle Shanahan's teams is even when they're playing some of the scrubs, the guys always know where to go. 
like you could tell they're well coached. Like even when they have these practice squad backups in, there's none of the palms up. They get delay. There's no delay games. There's no bad cadence stuff. Guy r- receivers who most of the time, you know, most receivers are just you know they pick and choose when they want to block and they like you know seem to casually forget who to go to in the blocking game. So, but also in Kyle Shannon's offense, it's they know exactly and they're beeline for those blocking assignments. Do they always get the job done? No, but that's how much buy-in he gets that he's getting receivers to block their ass off. And, you know, Robert Salah, he was getting so much love as a head coach candidate last year. And even I was a little, you know, pessimistic about that. I'm like, hey, he just runs one coverage. He's got great front up, working up front. The job he's done this year it's made more me – much more impressive than their Super Bowl run. Much more impressive. The variability that they've, they've thrown in with the defense, how hard the guys are playing, you can tell that they shored up what they like to do. They're running more too high this year. And the blitz game that they're bringing, uh, they caught them a bunch today. It's not just this game that they're doing it, but really, really impressive job of what they've done on defense there. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think that if you're making a case for him as a head coach this year yes. is a just a better body of work than what he did last year. I mean, the talent that they have up front is nearly the same. They're doing so many different sorts of things. I totally agree. So the Cardinals losing this game means that the Bears (laughs) can win out and make the playoffs. So the Bears destroy the Jags today. They take care of business. Now, with Seattle winning, the Packers have something to play for in Week 17. So it's a tougher road for the Bears. It feels like the Bears probably lose to the Packers next week if the Packers play. So if the Bears lose to Green Bay, then the Rams have to beat the Cardinals for the Bears to make the playoffs. The Rams without Jared Goff against a Cardinals team that is playing for their lives is a difficult proposition. Mm -hmm. Adam Schefter reported this morning that this late season surge for the Bears means that the Bears coaching staff is probably safe and that they potentially could bring back Mitchell Trubisky for next year based on the way that they've played. It was a rough (laughs) morning for me, if I'm being completely honest. But I think that you have to step back and look at this in a level-headed way. Mitchell Trubisky is probably not as bad as the guy we saw at times over the last couple of years, because the offense was set up for him to fail the same way it was set up for Nick Foles to fail when he was playing the version of the offense that we have seen over the last month, the sheer amount of play action and bootlegs and motion to help the running game. It's a system that would allow a lot of quarterbacks to function. That's probably an argument against Mitchell Trubisky, but it's also an argument saying that, He's one of those quarterbacks that when given the right amount of help can create a functional offense. And I don't know how many other options this Bears team that's probably going to go eight and eight and be picking in the middle of the first round and not have any money in free agency is going to have to upgrade the quarterback position next year, especially if they're bringing this coaching staff back, which it seems like they're going to. Ideally, do they blow this up and start over? Absolutely. You start over, you try to say, all right, what is our best route to winning a championship? It's probably just starting over from scratch. That's not how a lot of teams think. They don't operate in that sort of vacuum. And I think that if we're being honest with ourselves, the most likely situation is that this entire group runs it back. And if they do that, then it would possibly make sense to bring Trubisky back for a year on the right sort of deal if you don't think you have a clear upgrade available to you. 
That, those are 25 caveats that I have given there. But that is, that's, that's where I'm at, though. I'm just trying to be realistic yeah. about the whole thing. Yeah, and, and they played the Jags today, so it's like, you know, we don't want to read too much of any of it. But that offense, it's, it, it looks so much like what the Saints were doing with Taysom Hill that it's, like, scary because it's like that's the cap you're putting on yourself. You're saying, yeah, we have a And he's still nice throwing that pick court. in the end zone, the terrible interception. I mean, that stuff is going to happen. It's like every time it's you're going to raise your bar, but that ceiling is it's a hard ceiling. It's not a glass ceiling. You can break through some new scheme or something. That's new exactly right. Ability. The floor is a lot higher, but the ceiling is defined. Yep. Yep. You are betting that your defense is going to carry you. That is, but that's what you're building your team to do. And maybe they did that a year late. Um, but, you know, they run this two and three man stuff and it looks so much better than what they're whatever they're trying to do with Foles. They put themselves in this situation, though. That's the thing is like you, these teams do this. These teams leave themselves to make these tough decisions that, that aren't fun. <laughs> they're, they're, it was always going to be this way. I, I, I wrote it before the year, I wrote it in June. They were yes. probably going to end up a middle of the road team, and middle of the road teams don't have obvious paths to getting quarterbacks if they need a change. And that's where we are. None of this should be surprising. The most likely outcome for this Bears team probably involved them being something around eight and eight. And here we are. And eight and eight teams don't have an easy road to finding a new quarterback. None of this is going to be easy. These are hard questions. They're unfortunate questions, but they don't have good answers. It, there, it, there isn't some magical solution out there now that you're picking in the middle of the draft again. It, it would be much easier if they were in the top 10 and potentially they could draft somebody and they could blow it up. That's not going to happen. If you're on the verge of making the playoffs, even if Let's say the Cardinals lose next week and the Bears win. The Cardinals losing to the Rams next week should have nothing to do with whether or not the Bears run this back. And that's what I tried to say the other day. That shouldn't matter. Whether you make the playoffs based on some other team rising or falling should not impact the decisions you make moving forward. But for a lot of franchises, it does. And I assume it's going to. And that's why I'm not rooting against them right now. Because that's just silly. I'm just, let's enjoy it for what it is. I have no bearing on what is going to happen with the franchise. I like me rooting for them to lose. It does and nothing for no, anyone. You're like, I don't care what my passion level is now. <laughs> You're just like, whatever. It's going to, yeah. It, it, the ship sailed. The bear let's ship enjoy has it. sailed. Let's it's, enjoy it's, this yeah, weird Trubisky <laughs> moment. And then that's fine. And then that's kind they're, of where I'm at right now. They're the, they're the king of the jobbers. Like in wrestling, they had the hardcore championship that they would just like try to give to guys to like do. That's what the bears are right now. It's like, hey, you're the king of the jobbers. You can beat up the bad teams. You can be relevant in that aspect. Okay. Oh, you're about to play somebody good. Okay. You lose. <laughs> you know, that, that's just kind of seems like their situation right now. And maybe they want to. They want to go for another 12 months of that. I mean, if they want to make the playoffs and get destroyed by the Saints in the wild card round, that's that's their business. That's that's totally fine. All right. Let's get to one more team here before we get out of here. The Cleveland Browns crashed hard today. Oof. And it means a lot for the playoff picture. They're now 10 and 5 after losing to the Jets, which we'll get to. They need to beat the Steelers or they need the Colts to lose to Jacksonville essentially for them to get in. Neither of those is an easy proposition because the Steelers are motivated to win this game because they can still get the two seed in the AFC. I'm tempted to chalk this game up as just a disaster outing for the Browns. You lose your left tackle on the eve of the game to a sickness. Wyatt Teller misses this game. Their entire receiving core is out because of COVID. And you could see it. Their offense had mm -hmm. nothing going in part because they couldn't move the ball on the ground because they are having issues up front. And they're throwing the ball to practice squad guys. So 
it's tempting to say, man, the Browns lost to the Jets. What does this say about them? I think this is just a terrible day where they had absolutely nothing going for them. Yeah, they especially early on, early on, they looked like a team playing with practice squad receivers and backup alignment. <laughs> like it's they looked like they were struggling. The pass, pass rush was getting home. Baker was running scrambling for his life. It looked that way. Jets early on took advantage of it. They said, screw it. We have nothing to play for because they brought five time after time. They had zero concern about getting caught in man coverage. They were just like, whatever. We'll let uh, you know, random user generated name, you know, number 82 out there. What like 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 well Jamarcus Bradley we was his name. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Jamarcus Bradley. Yeah, that's you know, Madden draft 2024 when you play in franchise mode. <laughs> that's what the receiver name was. But even just offensively, the run game couldn't get going because the Jets were just loading the box. They averaged 2.5 yards a carry. I mean, they were just the Jets were playing on the other side of the line of scrimmage the entire game. The entire game. They loaded the box and brought pressure so much. And it's it's tough to live with that. Uh, I think just because of box count numbers, they're like, hey, we can't run the ball against what they're showing against us. So they browns through 53 passes today, four sacks. Run they're li- they live off the run game. This is one of those teams. They live off the run game. We've talked about this. Baker can only do so much. Baker with the, these kind of receivers that are working for him can only do so, so much. But, you know, it's I think I think what we were, what you just said, too, is what it is. It's just one of those any given Sunday games where especially in a freaky 2020 year, just that's what happened. That's what just happened in week 16. If this happened in week five, been different. I just think this is just the timing of this. And it is what it is. Just a weird game. The Jets knock off the Rams and freaking Cleveland and back to back and the Browns and back to back weeks because yeah, why not? What screw Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> if you lose your entire receiving core, you'd hope that you can dominate the game on the ground and dominate it up front. But losing their offensive lineman too, yes. That just sabotaged that entire plan. If you watch yeah. this game, I mean it was it was pretty rough for Nick Harris, who was their backup right guard. There were several plays in this game where he was literally turned around facing Baker Mayfield, chasing somebody. True, and, true lookout block. Uh, yes, true, that, true lookout block. It, it happened three or four times in this game. And Kendall Lamb had a hard time on the yeah. edge in, in certain moments. And that's enough. If, if you don't have any starting receivers and you can't block people, it's going to be a long day for you. And I don't think this is an indictment of Baker Mayfield or an indictment of the Browns. Yeah. I think it's just a really bad day. The problem is it's a really bad day that comes at a pivotal time because yes. now they could be out of this. They need to beat the Steelers now. Right now, at this very moment, the Browns are in. They are the seventh seed in the AFC with Baltimore being the sixth seed, Miami being the five seed. They need some help or they need to beat Pittsburgh to get in. And considering where this team was a couple weeks ago after that win against Tennessee and what they've looked like at times, it would be heartbreaking for Browns fans to miss the playoffs this season. Like absolutely oh heartbreaking. And there seems it seems like it might happen. Oh, hey, Browns fans, you're going 10 to 6 this year and you guys actually look pretty good. But guess what? You don't make the playoffs. It's a reprise of 2007. It's the exact same situation. The year that everyone thinks they made the playoffs when they went 10 and 6 with Derek Anderson, but they didn't make the playoffs. It's the exact same thing. Oh, uh, the Anderson Pro Bowl year. <laughs> that, that, that's the anomaly in NFL timeline that's just always going to hang there. I mean, it's it would be absolutely brutal. So I think that's the situation right now. They need to beat the Steelers. Because if they beat the Steelers and the Dolphins win and the Colts win, then they would be in. 
But they they essentially need to beat the Steelers. If they lose to the Steelers, then they would need the Bills to beat the Dolphins. <laughs> now I'm losing my mind here. <laughs> so if they lose to the Steelers and the Bills beat the Dolphins, the Browns still don't get it at ten oof. and six. Which oof. is brutal. That is brutal. So they essentially need to beat the Steelers to get in. Which, mm. I mean, it looked like that was going to be possible, and I think it still is possible, but that is a very Lots different changed. situation to the one that we would have anticipated a couple weeks ago. Even even 12 hours ago, shoot. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be really excited when all the playoff situations are figured out and we don't have to spend half the show talking about who needs to beat who and everything else and we can just talk about the games again. But let's just qu- quietly click tabs. Just going. Who, I, oh, I have the playoff, <laughs> the playoff machine and the playoff picture and the standings are open constantly this time of year. And it's not my favorite, but that's okay. All right, <laughs> Nate, we'll be back on Wednesday's show. You will be joining us for a very special show. We are going to be doing an all pro round table. It's going to be me and several guests. We're going to be putting together our all pro team. For Wednesday. Please come back and check that out. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform of choice. I would sincerely appreciate it. Please subscribe to The Athletic. Our buy one, get one offer still going through the end of the year. Still a few days to take advantage of that. I promise you, you won't regret it. We have so much great stuff and I'm sure it's going to be ramping up for the playoffs. Please go check that out. Thank you guys very much for the time. We'll be back on Wednesday. Talk to you later. This was The Athletic Football Show.